We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Welcome to a more somber episode of this week's Brew Hoop podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman, both of Brew Hoop, obviously. Gathering together to mourn the game one loss that the Bucks just completed. We're recording this on a late Sunday afternoon. So it was a 112 to 90 defeat at the hands of the Boston Celtics in game one. It had been a long layoff. Days of waiting, much anticipation. Um, maybe Giannis would have preferred to just play that day when they asked him. Uh, maybe he would have played a little better than he played today. Uh, maybe the long layoff sort of led to whatever the weird performance was that the Bucks had today, where they were clearly taken out of the rhythm and they they didn't really look like the Bucks team that we saw all year. And I, I kind of want to start there, uh, Riley. What what were like some of your initial takeaways? Because th- this to me felt like the probably one of the few games all year where I felt like this didn't seem like the same Bucks team that we, we we've been watching all year. Bucks were out there with some YMCA level offense out. It was just, uh, <laughs> it's that I don't even know. It, it just seems so stilted even from the very get go. And there was like moments here or there where they kind of got it going. There was that 15 0 run in, uh, in the second quarter. But other than that, it was just like, everybody was moving within like cement or I don't even know how you describe it. It was just, it, it was strange because we're so used to, or got so used to the season seeing the bucks being this literally flowing, like high paced, you know, unstoppable offensive juggernaut led of course by Giannis. And if he's going to struggle, then that's one thing. But even then there was just like, it was confusing seeing how little ball movement and how little like or how poor the execution was. Like even when it became obvious that Boston's plan was like, okay, we're going to throw like four defenders at Giannis, even in transition. And the fact that the Bucks weren't able to take advantage of that, I mean, that's super concerning and really frustrating to watch. So I guess the main takeaway was uh, obviously beyond frustration. I think they said this was like the biggest loss in Pfizer forum history, which is great to have, have happen in the first game of the second round. But um, I don't know, just annoying, like from start to finish, there wasn't really much in the way to get excited about, especially, you know, start with Giannis and work your way down the list. So I don't know. We'll see how they adjust heading forward, but not great. Yeah. We'll get into the nitty gritty right after this, but yeah, Kyle, I wanted to get your take to what you felt like right after this one concluded. I mean, it felt like everything that could have gone wrong for Milwaukee almost did Uh, other than Chris Middleton, which I know we'll talk about later. It seemed like everybody on the box was just bad and they couldn't hit any shots, only shooting 34% from the field, including like 33 from three. They couldn't get any, the, other than the 15, kind of like the 15-0 run, it seemed like they couldn't just get any stops defensively. They were forcing the Celtics to take a lot of mid-ranges, which, yeah, that's what you wanted, but it just seemed like nothing went their way. The strategies they had kind of just flustered. They, I don't want to say they looked disinterested, but they looked completely outmatched, like out. It's just like they got overwhelmed or something. I don't know what happened. It just seemed like that wasn't the same Bucks team we've been watching all year. And, you know, in the first half, it was one of those where, yeah, they got down 15, but then they were able to kind of go on that run. And then you kind of felt like, okay, that's fine. And then the second half happened, and that's when it felt like the wheels just fell off. It's just they 
it's, it's like they hit that adversity and they couldn't get their way out of it again. And it was just, I'm not going to overreact to it just because, like I said, I think everything that could have gone wrong for Milwaukee did, including Boston playing fantastic defense and hitting the mid-range shots while Milwaukee couldn't get anything going offensively. But it's definitely a frustrating sight to see. And, you know, it's you hope that there's adjustments come game two. I don't know how many of those are going to be needed or how many are going to happen, but you got to hope that this was kind of a wake-up call, if anything, for the Bucks. Yeah, I 100% agree. And we'll run through some of the basic box score stats here. Giannis, of course, struggles from the field, manages 22 points, but that's on 21 attempts, 7 of 21 from the field, 3 of 5 from three-point land, which was promising. But, um, yeah, that was it was good to see him hit a couple of those in the fourth quarter, hopefully quiet down a little bit of the uh, jump shot stuff. But, of course, now people have other stuff to break down with this game getting shut down by Horford quite a bit. 5 of 10 from the free throw line, that's tough. Uh, but, you know, and honestly looked like he could have got to the line a few more times. We'll touch on that. Uh, but really the big issue, like like you had talked about, Kyle, just about everything else going wrong. Eric Bledsoe, just six points on the day, one of five from the field. Brooke Lopez, most notably, we talked about last week how he had had really, really quiet games against the Celtics this year. And I think he'd only had around 15 points total in their three games. Certainly didn't add to that today. Only three points, one of five from the field, one of four from three-point land. Uh, didn't really seem to get into into a rhythm all day. He had a couple uh, trailing three-point attempts. But other than that, he he just looked a little disjointed, similar to this Bucks team. Sterling Brown, of course, had a good series against the Pistons, just one of seven today, three points overall. Ersan Ilyasova on the bench, three of nine, so he wasn't hitting some of his typical shots. 0 of five from three, that's always tough. And Pat Connaughton, two of ten, one of seven from three-point land for just five points. Uh, so let, let's get let's do let's do a first a general overview of we're going to run through some of the things that we that occurred today how concerned we are about them um, whether they think there's something that's going to stick around for the series or whether it's something we hope that the Bucks can adjust and will change going forward. So Riley, let's start with you. Are you more concerned about the Bucks' offense or defense uh, after today's game? Uh, probably the offense, just because I mean and people talked about it going into the series, the fact that Boston takes the shots or like excels or, you know, is proficient at the shots that Milwaukee wants opponents to take. So there wasn't much in the way of like, oh, besides a couple of defensive lapses, there weren't many obvious points where it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, clearly something the Bucks are giving up on defense or something that they're not able to adjust for. Like it was just a lot of Al Horford, like 17 foot mid rangers, like by himself, which is a, the type of shot that you'll accept. And like throughout the first quarter, it was a lot of Kyrie Irving tough shots. So all of that are things that you just kind of live with, like up until, you know, the second half where they had a couple of runs, there weren't a lot of times I was like, oh, we're getting totally blown off the floor defensively. So I'd say by far, I'm more concerned about the offense just because, you know, you see the way that they're able to kind of make things near, nearly impossible for Giannis, and you kind of wonder where you go from there. So I would say offensively, I'm a lot more worried than defense. What about you, Kyle? Offense or defense? Um, I'd also go with the offense. Not, I think the defense was generally okay. They kind of like what Riley said. They let Horford take a lot of those 17-foot, you know, pick and pop mid ranges, which you want him to take those compared to threes. Kyrie was taking a lot of mid ranges in the first half, and he was hitting them. Um, but the offense just looked disjointed. And like I said, besides that 15-0 run, they didn't look like they were able to put anything together. Um, they only had, I think, like 26 points in the paint, which I'm sure is severely low by their standards. And part of that was Giannis just not being able to get anything. Bledsoe not able to drive to the hoop. And I just think they just couldn't get anything going offensively. You know, 
it, Giannis had three threes, which is good, but the fact that he's tied with Middleton, Mirotic, just the guys that are hitting the best, most amount of threes and the best percentages, that's kind of a telling stat. You know, Pat Connaughton going one to seven, Sterling Brown only hitting only hitting one, um, Ursan not hitting any, Eric Bledsoe not hitting any. Like no one, Brook Lopez hit one. So you know, you're looking at some of these other guys that are supposed to be these shooters that would help Giannis out, and they're not hitting their shots, which just makes it easier for the Celtics to wall off the paint, which you know it affects Giannis, it affects Bledsoe, and it affects everyone else because of it. Yeah, I, I I would agree with tend to agree with both of you guys. I, I think there were some a few issues defensively that I think that you you touched on it, Riley, and this was the concern coming in. The Bucks defense has basically throughout the regular season been built to take away uh, the really efficient shots at the rim and not foul teams, which just is not where the Celtics make their bread and butter. I mean, they I have a ton of tough shot makers. They make a lot of mid range shots. They only had eight free throw attempts today. I think it was eight. Yeah. Um, which it's just not, that's just not really their game. So the Bucks don't aren't necessarily gaining a huge advantage there by forcing the Celtics to shift what they have to do. They're just basically asking them to play their game offensively. And they, they excelled at it today. I mean, 56.8% from the mid range. Uh, I mean, that's going to, that's going to probably come down in, in future games. One would hope um, for, for the season, the Celtics were shooting. Uh, I'm just pulling it up here from the mid range. Uh, they average 75% from there. Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Where is it here? Okay. Sorry. So they shoot, um, 42.9% from mid range. Uh, that's from cleaning the glass. And so obviously it's significantly higher in this game. Um, but you know, it, it felt like though, there were, there were a lot of lapses on the bucks end. I guess the one, one play that stands out to me is I, I didn't feel like, Giannis was able to be the sort of weak side helper that he typically was there. There was that play where Jalen Brown was able to get in and, and yammed on Giannis. And it's like, um, that feels like the play where it's like that, that is why Giannis is able to roam. He's supposed to be able to beat Jalen Brown to that spot so that they can't get him the ball. And then Giannis can still recover out to the three point shooter. It's, it's crazy, but that's what you, that's why you make him roam because he has the amazing athleticism to be able to snuff that out and then still recover and adjust if the Celtics dish the ball over to a shooter in the corner. Uh, and, th- and that was just felt like an encapsulation of how the, the Bucks didn't really feel like they were in a, a great rhythm defensively. And um, cl- clearly, though, they weren't uh, clicking offensively. But I want to I circle back on, on Giannis and talk about him, Riley. Do you think this is – I mean, it, he was clearly getting hoarded. There were All the Celtics were turning their eyes towards him if he was ever going at the rim – um, do you think this is the type of defense that like, I guess what was concerning to me was the fact that it felt like even when Al Horford was out, Aaron Baines, like was able to do a, a pretty darn close approximation of what Al Horford was doing on him. So what's your sort of concern level with Giannis's, um, offensive performance today? I think you can be worried about it, but I think the one heartening aspect is the fact that Giannis is a much improved playmaker from years past. Um, and we kind of, we've seen it throughout this season where, you know, in the course of the regular season, there was a lot of times where he would drive into the paint. And then if there's a bunch of defenders around him, he knows where his shooters are going to be, or he knows where his guys can be relied upon to be for, you know, kicking out. And I think even if he's going to have to deal with, you know, having the paint stuff with defenders or having guys kind of get them on pick and rolls or whatever the situation happens to be, the one thing that kind of, gives me not pause for concern, whatever the opposite, like gives me a little bit of hope would be the fact that it seems relatively obvious that, you know, one way the Bucks could kind of help break things open would be the fact that 
you rely upon Giannis to be that playmaker he was throughout the season. So he was forcing a lot of shots. And I don't know if he felt like he needed to just because, you know, this is this he's on a bigger stage now, or because the offense in general was just kind of stilted. So he kind of felt a need to put it on his back. But um I think if you can kind of return more so to the more flowing offense or a, a willingness to kind of kick out and trust the shooters, even if they're having an off day, I think that would definitely help open things up. And then beyond that, it, it just seemed like for whatever reason, I don't know what the pace numbers were from today's game, but it seemed like a lot of it ended up being half quarter. Like there weren't many opportunities in transition for the Bucks to take advantage of. And even if there were, it was like, okay, George Hill or Sterling Brown has it. And he's bringing it up the court where Giannis is like trailing off to the side where ideally you get the ball to Giannis in that space where he's, you know, most effective once he's got a lot of room to run. So um, it is concerning, but I think there are small adjustments where maybe he's not getting the like point totals that you're looking for, but he's not forcing things as much. He kind of gets, you know, teammates more involved than he, has probably throughout you know previous games where he's dominant so much on the offensive end but a little bit concerning but there are ways around it i think that bud and the rest of the team kind of work on what do you think i mean it's you have the right to be a little worried but i don't i wouldn't be concerned it's i mean Giannis was still getting to the hoop it's just that you know Horford was able to kind of just get a little bit more contact on him. I think Giannis is going to realize the contact and maybe make whatever adjustment he needs to. And if he gets to the line and shoots better for the line, that helps. Um, Him shooting threes and hitting those is a good sign because at least it it can't allow them to sag off of him too much. But I think he's gonna. I think Giannis is going to adjust. He's a smart enough player to know what he's going to do. He's not, and I don't think it's to the point where he needs to drastically change his game or anything. I mean, he could easily have gotten to the hoop and some of those things could have been called fouls or he could have been able to get one extra step or get a little bit quicker and get an and one or get a layup. So it's, it's not enough to freak out and panic or anything. You can be a little bit worried, but I think Giannis is going to figure it out just because he seems to have that ability. He has the ability to do it. Like you can't keep a guy like him, you know, to struggle that poorly a whole series. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. And you were talking about his playmaking rally, only two assists on the day for Giannis. It certainly seemed like he was trying to get himself going down there at the basket, but Bucks have an, an absolutely atrocious night or day at the rim. I should say only they shot only 50% at the rim, 13 for 26, which is significantly below their season average. They were around 66%, which was like the um, third, I think ranked third in the league. So, I, I mean, that's, a stark, stark difference from what they were doing all season. And, and you said it too, Kyle. I mean, outscored 38 to, to 26 in the paint. I mean, that rarely happens to the Bucks. That's why they're so potent. They can, you know, fire things away from outside. And if that's not working, usually get to the rim and finish up that way. And it certainly felt like it, it felt like to me, a lot of those, like some of those shots that Giannis flipped up that would just like normally roll in or like some of that are from just like a little bit outside, like the uh, arc at the bottom where you can have your, your feet in um, for a, for a charge. It felt like some of those just weren't falling today, which, you know, you hope you just hope that that's going to change in the future. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it was, it was really tough to watch him struggle like that today though. It just felt like, I just honestly felt bad for the guy. Cause I just know it's like, it's such a huge, such a huge moment for him. Like this, this team comes out at the Pfizer forum and um, I, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be stewing on that for a few days. 
Yeah, he you could see him at the end of the game once they pulled him at like the four minute mark. He just like had a towel or his his face was in a towel for like the final four minutes of the game. So I'm sure it's gonna be eating away at him, but you can only hope that hopefully he'll be able to turn that into, you know, positive momentum going into the next game. And again, there were a lot of points where it was frustrating, but you make a couple small adjustments here, there, and I think you can't go in assuming that you're going to get a friendly whistle whatsoever heading forward either. So I think that's something we have to keep in mind as well. Like I see throughout the entire season, it's been like Giannis doesn't get a good whistle. Well, Giannis hasn't gotten a good whistle the entire season. So I think you <laughs> kind of have to head forward going into the rest of the series and into the playoffs, <laughs> assuming he's not going to get a good whistle, um, which is annoying, but there's it, just, it was a total disaster from top to bottom and super frustrating, <laughs> but at least he got out of the way early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let, let's just hope that Giannis pulls it together and um, decimates Aaron Baines with a dunk, and that gets him going. <laughs> we, uh, he, yeah, if we had gotten one Aaron Baines <laughs> dunk, that would have made it all worth it. Unfortunately, yeah. we didn't even get that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, let's let's move on and talk about. Obviously, this was a huge narrative coming into the series after his struggles last year. But Eric Bledsoe, uh, in his his debut here, chance to redeem himself. Just one for five. I I want to get both your takes on this and start with Kyle. Are you concerned about the fact? What what concerned you most about Eric Bledsoe's perf, uh, performance today? Was it, it for me? It was the lack of aggressiveness. I think. Yeah, that was going to be my biggest concern. He was aggressive early in the game. You know, he took that trail three, and then he kind of got to the hoop and got to the free throw line. So you kind of thought maybe he was going to attack more often, but then it just didn't happen. And I don't know if that was just because he was also just unable to find any lanes to attack or I, I don't know what happened, but yeah, for me, Bledsoe just, he wasn't aggressive at all. Like only taking five shots is not okay in this series for him, regardless of who's playing, whether it's, you know, Celtics or if it was Detroit, like it wouldn't be good enough. So I, he's got to be more aggressive and it's okay if he's going to, you know, I'm okay with him taking more shots that he misses. If he's at least being aggressive, he's going to, if he's driving, to the lane and trying to get these layups and they're just not falling you can live with that because at least he's trying to get to the lane he's getting aggressive maybe he gets hacked and they don't call it that's a possibility maybe just they just don't fall or he's shooting wide open threes you know if one of those things are happening you can live with that situation but if he's just passive and not hitting shots at the same time it's that's the problem and i don't know how he was defensively didn't seem like he was getting killed out there particularly poorly so at least on the defensive side it seemed like he was, you know, average at best. I mean, like I said, there wasn't anything to indicate that he was getting torched by Kyrie and Terry Rozier, but offensively, he really does need to be more aggressive. And, you know, we saw it in the first couple minutes and then it just stopped after that. And maybe that's just more the reflection of the whole team in general is once they got hit in the mouth, they just couldn't get back to it. It's like the exact opposite of last season series where it was like Eric was doing too much or trying to force too much to prove a point in this series for at least this game, at least he kind of took a backseat for one reason or another. So uh, we got one type of frustrating Eric Bledsoe last year. And so far one game into the second round, we've gotten a different type of frustrating Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you as well, Kyle. I just, I, I was, I mean, I was frustrated when it was like, uh, I think Parks played, maybe it was the third or the fourth, but it was like Ursan Ilyasova pump fakes and drives to the tin and gets an end one. And I'm like, he, so he's the guy that's going to freaking drive in on the Celtics uh, <laughs> paint right now. Like, I like, can Eric talk Bledsoe, about some red flags? <laughs> yeah. I was like, like, can we please have Eric Bledsoe do this? Like if Giannis is going to be out on 
the perimeter. And if he happens to hit some of these threes today, that's going to probably make Horford be like, oh, well, maybe I'll have to stick out a little further. And that's when you have to take advantage of your man. Uh, and especially if Kyrie's guarding you, like you, it, I, he's the guy um, that the, the Celtics are looking to hide. And this game, they're able to hide him on Sterling Brown. And I, I want to actually transition next into the sort of uh, parade of wings, particularly in the context of Malcolm Brogdon's absence, which uh, is, is starting to feel like, I know I said, I felt like the Celtics would miss um, Marcus Smart a lot more than the Bucks would miss Malcolm Brogdon. But I, I kind of, I don't want to overreact, but I feel like I am right now. But I feel like it was a lot more acute that the Bucks were missing Brogdon than the Celtics were missing Smart. So uh, what do you think, uh, what, what do you think, Riley? Do you, do you, do you, what was your take on that initially, who you thought that, which team you thought would miss more, uh, which team you thought would miss their player more? And uh, how, how, if, how, if at all, today's game sort of shifted your perception of that? It's so hard because like the, not myth of Malcolm Brogdon, but like the narrative around Malcolm Brogdon is like, he's this calming influence and he's an efficient scorer and he's willing to take the big shots when he needs to. And all those things are like impossible to quantify. Um, (laughs) And I think part of the problem isn't some, I mean, obviously if you had Malcolm, that would be ideal, but in theory, even after this first game, the problem is more for the Celtics than it should be for the Bucks. Just because the Bucks have the depth to be able to fulfill or fill in at least somewhat adequately for Brogdon's absence. But the issue is, is for one reason or another, the depth today didn't show up or they just, you know, between Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton um, and George Hill played pretty well. So he kind of did a reasonable facsimile, but you know, the other two guys didn't play nearly as up to the same level. So um, is that something that's going to continue throughout the series? I'm not sure. And like, if you have Malcolm out there, is it, I guess you replace, yeah, you replace Sterling Brown's one for seven with like, you know, a slightly better shooting game and maybe a little bit more in the way of like a more free flowing offense. So that might be an upside to it. Um, but in theory, I still would say that you've been able to get this far, even, you know, without Malcolm for the past couple, you know, weeks of the se- season and then into the first round of the playoffs. Um I think you just have to continue to hope that Sterling Brown, like he played well throughout the first round and for whatever reason, he had a tough game today and a poor shooting night. But I still say the bigger issue is for the Celtics not having smart just because, I mean, they have a tighter rotation, but that should be kind of helpful for Milwaukee just because you have the depth to be able to kind of give them different looks. And maybe that'll be shown by doing a little bit more adjusting as the series goes on to kind of find better lineups. But I, I don't know. It, it, even when Malcolm comes back, I'm not sure you, if you can rely on him being 100% coming back either, just because who knows how long it'll take him to get back uh, to full health from that foot injury. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's lamentable to not have Malcolm, but there's not much you can really do about it at this point. Um, and it, it, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say right now. It's uh, <laughs> it, I'm getting lost in my own thoughts right now. Um, no, it's... I would just say it's still a bigger issue just because the Bucks haven't had Malcolm for a long time. They have the depth and they've been able to get by without him for long enough that it shouldn't be a concern that he's not here for game one and all of a sudden everything comes to pieces. So I wouldn't say that should be an excuse they could fall back on. What did you, what did you think, Kyle? I can't remember who you thought might be the bigger absence. I, I said Brogdon just because, you know, I think this game was a prime example of if things are kind of slowing down for Milwaukee, Brogdon has been the guy that can seem to get some kind of bucket, whether he's able to get to the hoop or hit a timely three. This was a prime example of if the Bucks had Brogdon, that would have helped them offensively. I think defensively, it 
it, yes, Sterling Brown has played well in Brogdon's absence, and so did Pat Connaughton. But this is the kind of game that, you know, you kind of wish that Brogdon was there so that way you can have Sterling Brown come off the bench and he's able to handle Gordon Hayward instead of putting Pat Connaughton on him because Pat Connaughton defensively is not able to match up with these Boston Wings. Like, it's getting exposed. It's not good at, at all. While, you know, maybe if – and even if you had Tony Snell, like having him healthier or just having Sterling Brown, having one of those two guys come off the bench to match up with Hayward – while Brogdon can come in and be another option on the offense, that's kind of why they really needed him, uh, just for moments like this. I mean, the Celtics not having Marcus Smart is it's going to hurt, and especially on the defensive side. But you know, the Celtics defensively have a game plan that they can get by without Marcus Smart. But the Bucks, it seems like offensively, you know, they might not have a game plan if you know Giannis and Bledsoe are struggling or not getting to the hoop and the Middleton's the only guy out of the start that's able to hit a shot. So like you just have another option on offense. And I think that's why I still think that uh Brogdon would be the bigger miss for the, the Bucks then smart would be for the Celtics. Yeah, Sterling, it's it's so interesting because uh I mean I, I, I think I like you guys felt I felt good about his play coming off the Pistons series. Perhaps I overrated it a bit. I mean looking at his box score today, he had three rebounds no assists, you know, one for seven. I mean, so his, his impact was was marginal at best. And as, as I was out there and I saw him out there, like matched up with Boston's team, I was like, I couldn't help but think if I'm Boston, I, would, I wouldn't even like think about Sterling Brown. Like I, I wouldn't even pay him any attention. Uh, and I don't think the Bucs could say the same about everyone who was on the court for the Celtics. Um, and I, I think Sterling Brown has to, he has to he has to make the kind of plays that he made in the piston series to make them have to pay attention I, and i mean he only hit i mean really a lot of his shots should just be he should really just be doing three pointers like i do not think he has the ability to i mean you saw him when he tried to drive today i mean giannis couldn't drive so like it, watching like sterling brown try and drive uh, and get stymied at like a brick wall w- was tough too um, and I guess I'm, I'm thinking a lot more about Brogdon, especially too, like in that lineup where, that Bud would roll out, like where Chris Middleton is like the only star out there. It's like Chris Middleton and me, I think maybe George Hill is out there or something, but like, you know, Middleton is, is always awesome today. I mean, relatively awesome. I mean, 16 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a, that's still like a, that's probably, he was probably the best Bucks, Bucks best player today. Um, but like he was hit making some incredible shots and I do not know if that's going to hold up. And just like the, the idea of having someone, I think Brogdon was a supremely valuable release valve for this Bucks offense. And I think they're, I think they were really missing it today. And particularly in those lineups where Chris Middleton has to be the primary offensive initiator. Yeah. I was going to say there was like the uh, Chris Middleton tough shot express, it is ugly as all hell. But when you have an offense that's <laughs> totally ground to a halt, it's like a godsend in a desert. It's like an oasis. You're like, thank God Chris is 18 feet away from the basket posting this dude up right now with the triple jab step and jumper. It was like, like I, I've never been so happy to see the tough shot express than when Chris hit a couple of shots here or there. It was, uh, it was quite an experience. Yeah, we should, I think we should definitely talk about, um, Pat Connaughton a little, because uh, I, I I think he seemed like the guy who, um, anecdotally, it felt like most most people were like, why is you know if Connaughton just like clearly can't hang in this series, you could see Gordon Hayward get by him r- really easily. 
Uh, Riley, do, are you concerned about Conton, like to the point where you think that Bud should be inserting Snell more, maybe not swapping completely, but at least give him like a half-half split? Um, maybe I don't like 24 minutes is a lot, a lot of Pat Connaughton minutes. And I know some of that was garbage time near the end, but still that's like a lot of Pat Connaughton minutes. Um, so I would say definitely at least experimenting, swapping Snell in, but Snell's been also recovering from an injury for a while. So, I mean, yes, it's frustrating that Pat Connaughton gets that many minutes, but there's not many other options to really run out there. Like unless Tony Snell is back hundred percent, I'm not sure how helpful he'll be either. Um, just because if you're not full health and you're not able to kind of keep up athletically with Boston, then what's the point? So yeah, it's frustrating. And you hope that you're kind of able to do a better job structuring rotation so that he's not out there on an Island by himself against Gordon Hayward, but you know what, you don't really have many other options besides like plugging him into the starting lineup to hide him there, but I'm not sure how effective that would be either. Yeah, and I, I, quick before I kick it to you, Kyle, I just wanted to also mention that I forgot to mention this before that Brown did leave that game. He was questionable to return with back spasms. So um, I guess we'll have to see if, if he'll be available for the next game or not. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to run out there. But, you know, you alluded to it earlier, Kyle. Like, did, what sort of um, adjustments, if any, would you like to see from Bud in regards to the Connaughton minutes? I, I think some of those minutes do have to go to Tony Snell. Like, at the very least, you can hope to see what Snell can do. I think he's a better defensive option against uh, Gordon Hayward than Connaughton is. But the problem with Connaughton is if he's not hitting his shots in this series, he can't play. It's just, it's pretty much that for me is he's a guy that, you know, yeah, he can make the defensive gambles and get the steals that he did have. He's been playing well up to this point, but a lot of those gambles that he had, it's not going to go well against better teams or better coach teams. You know, they're going to be able to see that and exploit it. And it just seemed like that combined with his inability to hit shots, it, it gets to the point where, you know, you got to kind of see how it goes for the first couple minutes. And if he's not hitting shots and if he's getting torched defensively, then just stop playing him, give Tony Snell a chance, see what he can do. And if that doesn't work, then okay, then you're in trouble. But, you know, I think Tony Snell would be a better option in this situation. Plus, that's just another knockdown shooter that you've got. And Snell has been a great, a good shooter all season, while Connaughton's been really streaky. So I think just taking some of those minutes, because yeah, 24 is way too much, regardless of if it's garbage time or not. It the team did better when he wasn't on the court, and that was a clear indication of this game. So, like I said, giving it to Snell, giving him a chance, or giving it to DJ Wilson, just giving those minutes to someone else, or playing Middleton more. Um, I think that's really the biggest adjustment with Connaughton. This is like the difficulty um, when talking about strategic decisions and like trying to figure out the right lineups. It's like, how many changes can you make on the fly in a game before you start turning into Joe Pronti last year where you're like, okay, we're going to give Jet 30 minutes and see if that works. <laughs> or we're going to give Shabazz Muhammad 30 minutes and see if that works. Like, I, I understand the frustration everybody has with Connaughton having so many minutes, but I'm also not sure if like, you know, he just randomly throw Tony Snell out there for like a 10 minute stretch just to see if it'll work. I'm not sure how effective that would be either. So um, I think I'm not too annoyed that Connaughton got as many minutes as he did today, just because that appeared to be just part of the game plan. And really more so I would be more concerned if we get to game two, game three, and that still continues to be the case. And there hasn't been really a notable shift um, strategically to kind of make for it. So I'm not upset with but keeping going to him throughout today, just because there's only so much you can change in the course of a game and hope that it'll stick. But um, it'll be interesting seeing whether or not Bud can kind of live up to, 
or deny the quote unquote or the uh, the knock against him that he's not flexible in a playoff series. So he's definitely got an opportunity here to prove that he's not that, and it'll be uh, curious to see how he approaches it. Yeah, I was actually just going to bring that up because I I was really curious about this feeling. I, he has a huge test ahead of him in, in in game two to see if he can get this team to respond. I mean, he has all year the Bucks, you know, barely ever lost two games in a row. So this would uh, this is clearly a prime example where he could come to play. I mean, it's always easy to backdoor coach, especially with rotations. I mean, that's probably like just because that seems to be like the easiest thing for us to just, you know, swap, drag and drop, put this guy in more minutes here, more minutes there. I did feel like he made a weird choice. Uh, it was a bad choice running with a Miritich Ilyasova front line um, for any amount of time. With some bad content that's thrown in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. that's like, oh, God. That's like just mixing in a bunch of rotten foods into a stew or something. And it ended it ended about as well as your night would end if you ate something rotten like that because the, the Celtics just destroyed them, just attacked them right at the rim, hit a three on them. Uh, that, that just didn't make sense to me. You need Brooke in there to settle them. Uh, and clearly that was sort of the – uh, that was the a bit of the lineup that got that run in the in the second quarter there where they were hitting a bunch of threes um you know I, it's like just don't we just don't need that like i i'm glad you trust these guys bud it's awesome this whole team there's no assholes around here yeah. don't do it man <laughs> just, just fight the urge bud yeah, fight the urge that's a, that's an asshole move to have to make both those guys play defense like that together like they, just give them brook okay um, so hopefully, hopefully that's something that he won't do in the next game. I would, um, I would sure appreciate that. Let's, let's talk about Nikola Miritich a little bit. I finally, um, today he really gets going. He gets that hot stretch in the second. Um, I feel like he's also the other guy that like, when you talk about needing a release valve, like that's just what he can do. Like he can just nail shots. I, I mean, that's, that's what the bucks got him for. And he, he finally sort of came to play today and, um, in that second quarter, he was really the, I thought, the the catalyst, him and, and Middleton, obviously, for getting going. Uh, it, it feels like he's going to have an outsized role to play as this series goes on, Kyle. Yeah, he, Miritich, I think, was the biggest reason for that 15-0 run. Like, he came and hit a couple threes. He's, you know, we kind of saw it at the end of the Detroit series. He was able to get his jump shot going. And I think that just continued over for this game. Um, he's definitely someone that he's willing to shoot it. He's willing to shoot it quickly. And that's going to be important for them, especially now that, you know, you've kind of had this deficit and you kind of saw when the team struggling to get to the rim, you need someone to at least come out and space the floor. And Miritich is willing to take that role. Um, that's why the Bucks acquired him halfway through the season at the trade deadline is for this type of game where things aren't working and you just got to get something going and, Thankfully, he was able to, and I'm kind of glad that he's able to hit that shot. I I mean, I know we've had a lot of griping about the Ursan Miritich front line, um, and maybe that's just more the issue that it's Ursan, because before it was like, yeah, Miritich is good defensively, but now it's like, at least Miritich is hitting his shots while we have to hope for Ursan to hit a couple shots or take a charge. So I, it's good to see this kind of performance, but yeah, I, I'm hopeful that the shooting trend for Miritich continues. I love uh, I love the contrast between those two guys' jump shots. Like Miritich, he'll he'll get the pass above his head, and he won't even like reset for the shot. He'll just flick it and go for it. Whereas Ursan, like every time he shoots, it looks like he he does like almost the Jumpman logo from the side. Like he's got the weirdest release ever from his jump shot. But um, I'm not sure. 
if we'll get a lot of those, like we've gotten those two together as part of lineups often enough where I think we can reasonably expect that to be uh, something that we continue to go with heading forward. But um, I agree with both of you guys that it was encouraging that Miritich had such a good shooting game, especially, you know, after the Detroit series and, you know, when he was kind of rounding back from his injury where he, you know, didn't have the best shooting nights, but it's games like this where he goes three for four and like, from three in a really short period of time and then a couple of baskets inside just kind of off of putbacks um where it's like oh wow this is this is where he's valuable and he gets a couple of rebounds as well so um if he's able to kind of show up in that way a little bit more reliably throughout the series and depending on who he gets slotted in with the rotation like i'm not sure maybe he is most effective when it's with the mostly subunit just because that gives you a different outlet on offense that you can rely upon when you don't have as many starters out there but um, definitely he helped pave over any sort of issues the substitute lineups might have had kind of keeping pace. So I think he, the other subs, for the most part, kind of helped hold things together and it kind of fell to the starters and Boston's starting unit that kind of made the big difference throughout the game. Yeah, and uh, I, before we go on, we're going to take a, a quick break here and then on the other side of this commercial, let's talk briefly about what we're hoping to see in game two and the, the series going forward. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. Uh, okay, guys, let's talk about what adjustments we want to see for game two. We've kind of peppered them, obviously, throughout our conversation here. But, uh, Kyle, if you had to uh, sort of nail it down uh, to maybe your top one or two, what are your what are sort of your top adjustments you're hoping to see out of the Bucks, um in game two? Um, let's see. First, I'd go with more aggressiveness from both Bledsoe and Lopez. Uh, I think those are the two guys in the starting lineup that, you know, they have to show up or, you know, that's what makes the story let up so good is when those who are playing well and neither of them did. And I think if they were more aggressive, I think things open up a little bit more because then you force a little bit more space with Lopez that helps Bledsoe and Giannis and then kind of still causes defense to collapse, which can get you Sterling Brown because they're not paying attention to him. He can maybe get a couple of corn threes and then you still have Middleton who's able to get his shot. And if he has to go a tough shot express, so be it. So I think having those two be more aggressive and just especially on offense is going to be vital. And I guess my second one would be for Bucks Twitter and Bucks fans to calm it down a lot. That's really my only, that's my other adjustment, to be honest. I was thinking, yeah, maybe a better performance from Giannis or, you know, giving, we already talked about the minutes, but the fans just need to calm it. And if you're going to, if they're already writing off the Bucks after this game, then don't watch the rest of the series. Like, I, I cannot stress enough how frustrating and annoying it is that there are people out there that are just chalking up same old bucks and all this nonsense of writing a team off after the series. Like they played poorly. Yeah, that's fine. You can be frustrated that they played poorly, but don't act like this is the end all be all. It's a seven game series. That's why it's a seven game series. And, you know, some of these fans maybe just didn't, some of them haven't really dealt with the bucks being bad and it's clearly showing, or some of them got a little bit too full of themselves in a serious way while we joke about it. I think we're pretty level-headed in knowing that the Celtics are a better team than the Pistons. And if there are some people that thought the Pistons were going to be the same level as the Celtics or the, the Bucks were going to win comfortably in four or five, well, I Sweep. hope this was a good wake-up call. <laughs> Riley and yeah, Riley. Riley. Oh, hey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if if you really thought that the Celtics were going to be this cakewalk of a matchup, then you know, I hope this was a good wake-up call for them also. So I think that's really the thing that bothered me the most was just, the fans on social media and I hope their attitude can adjust 
And yeah, I know I probably shouldn't be preaching and trying to disciple them all on this high horse, but at the same time, it's like we've seen this Bucks team play what now? Almost eight, 90 games. They're going to figure it out. They're going to turn it around. And if you don't think so, then just get off the band, get off my hype train. I'll kick you off of it myself and move on. So yeah, that's all I got for my adjustments. And and ladies and gentlemen, you can find Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Cochet. Uh, Go ahead. You're running the burn account. Go right ahead and at me. I'm, I'm sorry. Like if it was just frustrating on Twitter to see people say, okay, the, nope, this buck seems terrible. They're going to get swapped. They're going to lose at five. You know, this is clearly an indictment on the team. Fire the fire, bud. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, how about we give them a game two to figure it out? You know, if they're still making the same mistakes over and over, then yeah, that's one thing. But it's one stinking game in a seven-game series against an actual NBA playoff team. Look, I'm not saying if I was the coach of the team, we would have gone 82 and 0, but we definitely would have won today by 30 points. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an indictment on Coach Budenholzer, okay? (laughs) Because apparently we are all smarter than Coach Budenholzer. And I mean, we we joke about it, but like Riley, I think you had a well. I mean, your your belief in uh, the Bucks being able to like sweep the Celtics was in a really, I think, well founded belief in the fact that this Bucks system that they've had all year uh, has worked to a T. I mean, it, it's spectacular. It's been humming along, um, and today it clearly sort of ran into a, a bit of a buzzsaw. So, what sort of adjustments are you looking for uh, going forward in Game Two? Well, I think one, you're right. And part of what's been interesting or what's kind of been interesting to think about in the back of our minds is like the Bucks have been so like adherent to this system that it was only a matter of time until some team was able to come up with a game plan that effectively kind of threw a wrench in the spokes for the Bucks. So it kind of be interesting to see how they adjust. But um, just the biggest thing would be like, if they're going to be throwing three or four dudes at Giannis every single time out, you have to figure out a way to get around that. Like, I don't know if it's more ball movement or if it's just really pushing things in transition or what exactly the adjustment will be, but you cannot rely upon Giannis, like having four dudes on him and trying to force shots up as your way of getting the offense going. Like there were so many times where it just felt slow. There wasn't much ball movement. The ball was sticky. It's, you know, for a team that was top 10 in the league in assists per game, there's, I think they had 19 today, which is like seven or less than, or seven less than their season average. Um, so I think there's small things you can fix where you shouldn't have nearly as dreadful a game offensively. Even if you don't have Giannis as the main centerpiece, you can still use him as a distraction to kind of open things up for everybody else. So um, I would agree with Kyle that you hope for a little bit more aggression from the other starters, but again, Giannis is the end-all be-all, and if he's not going to be the main scorer, then he might have to be called upon to be the main playmaker, and I think he's fully capable of doing it, but you hope that, uh, if anything, that's the main adjustment they make from game one to game two. Yeah, I've been, um, sorry, I got a little reverb there. I've I've been trying to think about what the the biggest adjustment I would like to see going forward. I I really think... I, 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 Pau Gasol I, needs minutes. I think, yeah, I think Pau Gasol <laughs> or Dante really, DiVincenzo needs to come back. I mean, I, if only, if only we could get the big ragu in there, uh, <laughs> you know, replacing uh, Connaughton, of course. No, I, I mean, I, I think I tend to go with what Kyle said in terms of aggressiveness. Like I, I, I Eric Bledsoe, Bud said it all year when they are like they're at their best when when Bledsoe's at his best, and I thought like the first 
four or five minutes of the game, like I was just pulling up some, like making some notes or whatever. And I thought he was like absolutely locked in defensively, like blocked shot in transition, like hustled back to get that was like working his way around screens. Like I, his, his defensive stance when he's like, so when he's so locked in, like he's, he seems to be have a, a very, like, he seems like he's going about it like very cavalierly, but it just like, seems like he has clearly studied his opponent so much that he's just mirroring their movements, getting to their spots before they can get there. Uh, and they need that. They absolutely need that in this series. Kyrie's going to make some ridiculous shots, but you have to make it as tough on him as possible. And on the other end of the court, Eric Bledsoe has to be the guy who's going to punish the Celtics for, uh, you know, having all of their attention turned to Giannis. I mean, there was that, they had that slow-mo defensive breakdown today showing on the broadcast that like Giannis was in the corner getting ready to drive and literally all five Celtics were like just peeping over like, Oh God, like ready to just collapse at any second. So Eric Bledsoe has to be the kind of guy who's going to drive in. Chris Middleton's just going to do his game. He can't get to the 10. He's the guy who's going to shoot mid-range jumpers. And Eric Bledsoe has to be the guy who's willing to use his speed, use his athleticism, use his, use his dribble, uh, and be the X factor in this series. I mean, I thought he would be last year. I thought he would have been the reason that they were going to win because I thought he had the biggest talent advantage over Rozier, and he he flopped. And, um, I mean, this is his chance at redemption. Like, the Bucks signed this guy for four more years. He's going to be a part of the team probably for a, a long time going going on. And um, I think he, he really has to come out and, and show both them. Um, you know, I, I think the defensive energy is just as important as the, as the offensive energy. Um, Cause I felt like he didn't feel like it felt like he was placing his stamp on the first couple minutes of the game there. Uh, but then he sort of receded into the distance. So I'd like to see that out of Eric Bledsoe uh, moving forward. Um, well, uh, let's, I'll turn to you guys for any final thoughts on the game. I guess for me personally, I, uh, I won't, I'm, I'm not overreacting. But I won't lie and say I wasn't feeling great about my Bucks championship bet midway through that game. <laughs> wasn't... I think you count felt that much lighter at the end of the game. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. So that wasn't great, but uh, I mean, I pre- I predicted the series would go seven. I thought the Celtics were going to be able to punch the Bucks in the face. This was like a six day layoff, so I thought it would be weird. It's a noon tip off, so two sort of weird factors factoring in there. Um, but I thought the Celtics could absolutely punch the Bucks in the face in game one like this. Uh, and uh, I think it's, Im- I think it's honestly something important for this team to go through. I, I can't think of almost, I don't, I can't even like think of a, of a real strong moment of adversity for this team this season. Uh, and this seems to be like the real, like the first real thing that they're running into like this. It, like Zach Lowe always mentions the, Warriors um, being down like two one or whatever in the in the Memphis Grizzlies series before they won their championship and then they they came back from that and he was like you know they they seemed genuinely shook but they they fought their way back and and today the Bucks the Bucks looked shook they looked they they looked the most shook I've seen them all season um, and I am really excited for Game Two because I think it's going to be incredibly instructive to see how this team responds we've seen how they've done all year whenever they lose a game. Hopefully they bring that same sort of energy to game two. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you give you any final thoughts you have, Riley and Kyle. I think you're forgetting about those games against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, oh, <laughs> throughout the season. Yeah, we just blanked that from our memory. <laughs> uh, no, I think the only final thoughts I have is uh, you have to win the Daniel Tice minutes. Uh, if he's going to be out there six minutes and he's going to go plus four, uh, you're not going to win the series. That's all I have to really say about it. Uh, so uh, Coach Bud, do better. <laughs> Uh, that and like, I think it's really, like I would. 
Yeah, well, yeah, dude. Look, if listen to me, and we're gonna get through this just fine. That, and I would say the only other thing: how weird is it that Eric Bledsoe only had twenty five minutes? Like, besides his not being aggressive, like on yeah. offense, the fact that he only got to twenty five minutes is really like super strange. And there was a lot of times where like Giannis would sit for really long stretches of minutes, and really, I I'm not sure what his longest stretch of play was, but it, it felt like almost that fourth quarter when the game was completely decided at that point, like that was the longest time that Giannis was out there. So um, hopefully what I'd hope for is slightly better minute allocation, a little bit better on the rotation, but again, small adjustments here, there should be able to do it. Any last stuff from you, Kyle? Uh, out. Chris Middleton was still flamethrower. So that was pretty awesome to see. Um, so that's a good thing. Otherwise, yeah, I think this is the worst the Bucks have and will play all season. They're going to make adjustments for game two. It's going to be fine. And if, again, if you're writing this team off, GTFO my hype train. That's all I got. God. Okay. And one more time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's at Kyle Hoche <laughs> on Twitter. Yes. The team is fine. It, they're going to make the adjustments. The Celtics are actually good. This is what happens when you play good teams and you're not 100% prepared. They hit you in the mouth. They Now you just got to bounce back. You're going to play better. It's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good point to end it on. One last thing to look for in in game two. I'm fascinated to see how this sort of um, the Lopez Horford battle works its way out. It didn't feel like the pick and pop was that bad today um, defensively, but it, I think one of the things that I didn't think enough about this just came to me. Sorry, now I'm just extending the dang pod, but I just like I just didn't think enough about the fact that if Al Horford is just guarding, especially with Marcus Morris in the lineup. Uh, starting lineup today, which was a switch from what they had usually been doing with Aaron Baines. I, I mean, if he's in the lineup and Horford is guarding Giannis, like it, it pretty much mitigates a lot of the advantages that you would get from having Lopez in the starting lineup. Um, so, yeah, and it's some... pretty fascinating to watch like how adherent Brad Stevens was. Like as soon as Brooke Lopez sat, Al Horford sat, or as soon as uh, Brooke Lopez went back in, Al Horford went back in. So that's like a really obvious place that. You know, we'll see how Bud kind of adjusts for that. But if that's going to be the case throughout the series, then kind of falls on everybody else to produce, which uh, as we've discussed throughout the season, Brooke and the way that he plays is so critical to this team functioning. So it'd be interesting to see how they adjust for that. Yeah, 100 percent. So keep an eye out for that in game two. Uh, that'll be on Tuesday night. And uh, I don't think they've announced the time for that yet, have they? I don't think so. Um, they probably will have by the time. any announcement. Yeah, they probably it's probably going to be at like six or probably seven. Probably be a noon tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh, wait, a good it's call. Just seven p.m. Seven p.m. is this tip time. Oh, okay, thanks. Well, so Tuesday at seven p.m. Uh, you you can tune in for that, and uh, we'll look forward to that game. And in the meantime, make sure to go to brewhoop.com for all of your Bucks Celtics series breakdown stuff. Uh, you know, I know Brian's working on a piece. Um, and obviously make sure to listen to Brian's pod as well. Bucks film room that drops every Thursday. He'll be diving deep into the series. He'll have uh, two games to analyze and look at when the next, next edition of that comes out. So um, otherwise follow us on Twitter and subscribe, uh, rate us on iTunes, do all that, um, do all that jazz and uh, tune into us again next week. Thanks for listening. streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking